Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Amateur Hunter Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, how about that introduction? I tell you what, if you want to talk about professional caliber, that was just amazing. And the voice, it was so strong. Anyway, this is episode two. I know it is hard to believe we have come so far. We are on our second episode If you include my intro, we're on episode 2.5 even. So, um, you know, we're just moving up to to bigger and better things every day. Um, This episode is still sponsored by nobody. Um, Again, don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. However, if you would like to become your own personal sponsor of this show, feel free to click the link and uh, go ahead and make a donation. Um, I can't really say that anything responsible will be done with the money, but it will be appreciated, so you have that going for you. Um, Anyway, so I I actually uh, had um, an individual who listened to the first episode uh, let me know that he was excited to hear about my first hunt, um, which was one amazing that he actually listened to my podcast and two that he was even somewhat excited to hear what I had to say again I kind of figured with the amount of people that I invited that maybe one of them would come back probably my mother just so I wouldn't feel bad but I guess there's at least one or two people out there who have enjoyed this thus far and actually even before anything was said my initial plan was to uh, discuss my first hunt as part of my uh, this episode um so that is what we're going to be going into today and i kind of just wanted to give an explanation of of how these kinds of episodes are going to work um obviously you know the the main purpose of all this is for entertainment and to to get you to enjoy wasting you know up to an hour with me but also I want there to be some takeaways I want there to be some information for anybody who might be you know looking for tips or or might be frustrated with the same kind of junk that I deal with and all of that so it's almost going to be kind of a a lesson Um, you know I'll go over the story I'll go over everything that happened um, and and then we're going to break it down and we'll kind of go over the, the areas that I failed in and and what the takeaways from that are and and honestly like in this kind of a hunt with this being my first hunt the the failures and the takeaways are going to be very very simple very easy to recognize and very simple to break down and, and fix um but i hope anyway that some of these stories that we go into um in my later years as i've become at least somewhat more skilled that that you can kind of see that you you know the the detail and the intricacies into these mistakes and and kind of what it takes to fail so um you know without further ado i think we'll we'll go ahead and get started with this so 
it's sometime in the late 90s. I am absolutely horrible with dates. If you need to be able to um, track my life and, and these hunts chronologically, you're going to be severely disappointed because I can't hardly remember anything when it comes to dates. Just who I am sucks. Um, I don't remember anybody's birthdays really ever. So, you know, it's the way it is. You'll deal with it. You'll live. Regardless, we're going to call this the the hunt of the late 90s. So it's my first hunt for big game ever. Um, like I said in the last episode, I'd already gotten my hunt of safety. I got my gun. I've got everything that I need. I'm ready to do this hunt. So the day comes, and it is time to get out in the woods and take home my trophy. We wake up 3, 3.30, somewhere in that area. Um, I get ready to go, or so I think, run out to the truck, and I'm ready to, to get going on this. And then my dad starts asking, where's my coat? Where's my boots? Where's my gun? Where's pretty much everything you need for this hunt? And, you know, okay, I have to make about 14 more trips back and forth into the house before I am actually deemed ready to go. At that point, I think my dad's ready just to leave me behind anyway. But we get through it. And out the door we go off on our adventure. We stop at my uncle's house, whose property we're going to, get his four-wheeler loaded up, and we're heading out there. We uh, we get out there and we, and we split up um, to make it easier, I think, on my dad so that he doesn't have to try to take care of both of us. So I wind up going with my uncle. My brother goes with my dad. Um, we get to the top of the of this ridge, and going down the side of this ridge is where the, the deer stand is. And to kind of paint a picture of, of where this is at, kind of where you come off the road, you come to a cornfield. Um, you park right on the edge of the cornfield, there's a little path kind of going through the field where we take the four-wheelers all the way to the other side. And on the other side is where the field ends. Then the ridge starts. You go down the ridge all the way to the bottom, and there's a creek that runs through. On about maybe a little less than halfway down this hill um, is where my uncle's stand is. So we're at the edge of the cornfield about ready to start heading down the hill to get into our stand. And my uncle, you know, asking me, make sure, you know, do you have ammo? Oh, yeah, I got ammo. I'm ready to go. Well, how many do you have? I'm fiddling and farting around in my pocket, and I find one shell. Well, do you got one in your gun? Yeah, I got one in the gun, too. I don't know how familiar everybody is with how a break-action shotgun works, especially like the modern ones, but part of the, the chamber it kind of is is cut away and spring-loaded. So that when you close the action with the shell inside of there, it, it uh, will compress that piece down, you know, put that spring under tension. And then when you, when you break open that action again, that spring will release, push that shell out, and, and it will actually launch a shell. I mean, it, it'll push it way out of the way. Um, so, you know, to show him that I have a shell, that's exactly what I do. I just pop that thing open and launch my shell into the abyss. And he looks at me and says, so I guess you've got one shell, and we're not going back to the truck, so let's hope it only takes one shot. 
So we go marching down to the stand, get climbed up in there. You know, it's about 15 foot off the ground. And, and this is a homemade box blind. This isn't a, you know, a, a hanging stand, a ladder stand, or, or a climber, anything like that. It's it's built into the tree, almost like you would build a clubhouse. It's got walls, goes up to about your armpits when you're sitting down. So it's big enough for a couple of guys to sit in there. You can put your, you know, bag down in there. You have a little bit of gear um, and a little bit of ability to move around without the entire you know, forest seeing your every movement. So it's kind of a nice little setup. So we're sitting up there. I'm freezing to death because, again, this is year one. I've never done this before except for sitting, you know, the year prior with my uncles. But I, I just didn't really know what to expect or what I was doing. And I was more excited about just getting out there to kill an animal um, and harvest some meat. So I have enough clothes on to be warm while I'm walking. I have not even close to enough clothes to be warm while I'm sitting. So I am shaking, I'm shivering, I'm freezing, I'm bored. And I'm starting to question why I even thought hunting would be a fun deal. But whatever, I'm sticking it out. I wind up sitting there for, I mean, if you ask me then, we had to have spent a week out there. Uh, but really, probably two hours, if that. And my uncle uh, notices a doe walking through. She's on the back side of the stand, kind of more towards the creek. He uh, so he he kind of taps me and, and tells me that you know there's a doe behind me that's walking through. So I get my gun. I get turned around. I find where she's at and. Boom. You talk about buck fever. I mean, they call it buck fever, but the reality is it's just deer fever. I I mean, this was not a buildup. You know how sometimes you will, you know, you're kind of analyzing a situation and, and your adrenaline starts kind of amping up as you go along? This is like when you are almost about to be in a car accident and all of a sudden you just get a dump. That's what happens at least for me, or happened for me when when I saw this doe. It was just instantaneous. My heart starts racing. I'm breathing heavy. I am shaking worse than I was when I was actually shivering. I mean, my whole body is just going crazy seeing this animal walk by me and knowing that I'm about to harvest her. So I get up. I get my gun on. Uh, get it up to my shoulder. I stare her down. I mean, I am looking right at her vitals. I know this slug is going to, you know, it's either hitting both lungs, it's going to hit the heart, whatever. It's going to take her down, and it's going to do it quickly. I cock my hammer back. I'm focused dead on. Boom. Take the shot, and she just takes off. And I don't know if I hit her. I I can't, I didn't see the shot. I, I didn't see her do what I've seen other deer do when they're hit. You know, they might kick up their rear. Um, they might kind of barrel into the ground a little bit before they can actually take off. You know, whatever it is. Um, I'm not seeing that. I just see her run. Um, my uncle is is not 100% certain either. He says he doesn't see the hit. But then we see something that gives us 100% confirmation that that deer was not scathed at all. Um, and that is the distinctive sound of a tree falling over. Um, what I had not noticed while focusing on this deer was there was a, a little tree 
It was tall, but very narrow, maybe three inches diameter. And I had drilled it. I killed that tree. I mean, he was not walking away from this. Um, and he just folded right in half. And my heart just sank. I just could not believe that I had blown that opportunity. And not only that, but I had just shot a tree. Not did I miss, I shot a tree. I think that kind of goes with the, you know, insult to injury thing, that not only did you miss the first year you ever shot at, but you uh, killed a tree in the process. So, regardless, my heart's broken. I want to just crawl up in a hole and die. My uncle finds it quite hilarious. I don't think he wanted to make me feel worse in the moment, but he didn't hesitate when we got back to my other uncle's house where we all had lunch, and that story quickly went around. The really funny thing, though, was is that I didn't have to sit in my misery alone for very long. Um, that same day, my brother wound up going with my other uncle after my dad and had a shot at a doe and shot a tree himself. So we both were labeled as tree murderers that day, and I will tell you to this day that story has been brought up almost every time I go home to visit. Um, they just find it the most funny thing in the world, because whatever. Regardless, tree's dead, deer's gone, and that would be the only opportunity I got that season. The next day, my brother actually went out and uh, wound up getting a doe, his first doe, his first deer ever. Um, put a, a really good shot on it. I think he learned from the the last uh, mistake, I guess you could say. So put a really good shot on her um, and, and wound up, you know, tagging out. Um, I guess kind of the, the sad part of that whole story, though, was that after my brother killed that doe, they went down to gutter and, and get her up to the truck. And my brother was looking around, I guess, down the, the same path that she had walked and she was being trailed by a buck, and that buck just stood there, um, giving my brother the death stare, because I think my brother just killed his potential mate, and he wasn't too thrilled about that. But still, he got a good deer, and uh, he was pretty happy with that. My dad was awfully proud of him for that. But yeah, so that would that would have been the adventure for me for the first season. I got to shoot a tree, and, and then nothing else. So second season comes around. And the way it works in Illinois, and I'm not sure of any other Midwest states or anything like that, but in Illinois, your your shotgun deer tag is good for all shotgun seasons. So it's it's not based on one season. It's not based on anything else. It is It is strictly based on the calendar year and the gun. So if you have a shotgun tag for the year 2020, you can hunt any season that states that shotguns are legal in 2020. Once you hit 2021, that tag is expired, or once you are in a season that does not allow shotguns, you are not allowed to shoot your shotgun. Um, you're not allowed to do that hunt. So, in Illinois, there's two seasons, um, first and late. So, late season comes around. Nobody really wants to hunt late season um, because it's cold, it's miserable, the deer aren't moving like they are during the rut, so it's just not the most fun time. 
and in, honestly, in the in the Midwest in general, I believe it is, but definitely I know in Illinois, almost all of the deer that are going to be harvested in that calendar year um, are going to be harvested on day one of that first season. So most people are in and out pretty quick when it comes to, to deer hunting there, uh, with shotgun anyway. So... And I think that actually was the case for most of my family. That property, I'm pretty sure, when my dad and I went back for second season, it was him and I. It was nobody else. So we get out there, um, and it's it's an unseasonably warm day. I mean, it, it's almost like spring. Um, the sun is shining. There's a really good breeze going through. I, I think it was probably in the 50s. Um, and you're talking about in a time frame when it's normally not getting much higher than above freezing during the day. So this is just an absolutely gorgeous day. One, you know, that you would just spend outside. You'd find a reason just to be outside all day. So we're out there enjoying it. Um, I mean, I'm bored. I, I, I struggle with boredom even to this day. But it's still nice to be out there. And, I, and I'm enjoying being with my dad. Um Looking back now, I enjoy that thought more than I did even as a kid. But even as a kid, I, I still enjoyed the fact that I was getting to spend time with my dad. So we, you know, sit out there for the whole morning. Um, nothing comes by. We don't see anything. And again, this time of the year, movement's a lot less. You're, you're not getting the chasing. You're not, you know, it's kind of died down. And on top of that, you have an unusually warm day. A, lot, a good breeze, like these are all not perfect times for animals. The, what I've learned in the years that I've done this is that if I feel really comfortable, th- then the animals probably don't. Um, that late in the season, they've got some fat. They want. They are ready for it to be cold when it's warm. They're not trying to move a bunch. And when it's really windy, it it, it kind of will hurt their senses. So there's just not a ton of movement. But regardless, we're out there giving it our best. We go in, have some lunch, um, wind up going back out. We were kind of limited on time. I was playing basketball, I think, at the time, so I had practice that night, something like that. And uh, so we, I think we had to be out maybe 4 o'clock, something like that. Um, so we couldn't stay till the end of shooting night. But we could stay pretty decently late. That late in the year, you're talking, you know, 5.30 might be the end of shooting light, I, you know, whatever it is, it, it's early, but so we're out there hanging out, I'm bored, my dad, I, I'm pretty sure is getting bored, I'm pretty sure that, you know, a lot of my characteristics that I get are from my dad, so I'm sure if I'm sitting around bored out of my mind, he's probably having the same thoughts go through his head, so I think to kind of break it up, and, and kind of maybe just get me to to laugh a little bit and, and stop thinking about how bored I am, he kind of looks at me and, and says, I'm going to go ahead and call these deer in. And I said, okay. And, uh, you know, you, you there are deer calls out there. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, everybody knows the grunt tubes. Everybody knows about the doe bleats or, you know, the fawn bleats or, you know, all these different calls that are out there that have been shown to work. But I will tell you right now, my dad's call is the one that I've seen work the best thus far. Um, which included him at a little bit louder than a whisper saying, Here, dearie, 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 dear, here, dearie, 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 dear. And, you know, it made me laugh. Um, 
I thought he was a big dork, and I think that was his whole point was just to kind of get me to laugh and, and break up the monotony, and it worked. Um, however, what the, neither one of us had uh, expected was that a deer would actually walk in, and that is exactly what happened. It couldn't have been more than five minutes. Um, I, I mean, ten at the absolute most. And this buck walks in, and he is just making a beeline straight by our stand. I mean, he's he's 10 yards from us, and then stops. I see this guy, and the way I described how I felt with that doe, you know, in the, in the first season is nothing compared to, to what I'm looking at and how I'm feeling right now. Not only am I going to harvest my first big game animal, I'm going to harvest a buck, and a buck that looked to me like possibly the Illinois state record, maybe even the national record. He was huge. I mean, he was a monster in my mind. In reality, he is, uh, I would describe him as a mature buck, but nothing to write home about or anything. I think if you were to officially measure him, he might break 100. Probably not, though. But for a little kid, he was a moose. So I do what I still to this day can't figure out why I did, but I do it. I stand straight up in that stand. Like I described before, this is a a box blind, homemade with walls, but for some reason I just felt the need to stand straight up. Um, then I bumble went my way to getting my gun up to my shoulder. I get that hammer cocked. I'm staring him right down. I, I mean, looking right behind that shoulder. That's where that slug's gonna go, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be eating deer meat tonight and showing all my buddies this huge buck that I got when I go to basketball practice. I pull the trigger, and boom, nothing. There's no blood, there's no anything, and there's no movement. This deer is just staring at me. I completely whiffed. At the time, I, I had no idea what in the world had happened. Now I know I shot straight over his back. Um, and all logic tells you, I mean, you're taught when you hunt... You're only getting one shot. The noise, the the uh, proximity of that bullet to even if you miss, I mean the proximity to the of the animal to that bullet, it still can spook them. The noise will spook them. The movement, like I mean, there's there's nothing that's that tells you that these deer are going to stick around. He does, and he's looking at me. And if you've ever hunted deer before, you know, especially sitting in a stand, that a lot of times it, it might seem like a deer is looking at you, but you kind of have to judge it by their nose. Like, if, if they're looking straight forward, they're not really looking at you. But if that noise, uh, noise, that nose is pointed up at you, they're looking at you. And that's what he's doing. He's looking at me, and he doesn't care that I exist. He really thinks that there's no way that I can kill him. And I'm kind of proving him correct. Regardless, uh, my dad, you know, he's starting to get into a frenzy himself and, and trying to tell me, you know, get that shell out, get another shell in, you know, put another shot on him before he runs because he's going to run. He's got to. That's just the way it happens. So I do it. I get another shell and I, I you know, fold the, the gun back, cock the hammer back. I, again, I'm putting my eyes dead on that breadbasket. Boom. Nothing. No impact, 
no movement yet again. At this point, I, I honestly, I'm almost in tears because I know he's got to run. But now, knowing how this story ends, I do think that possibly my deer might have had some mental deficiencies. Maybe he got in one too many fights while he was in the rut. I mean, he did have a broken tine, so that that could have been. I don't know. He didn't move. Again, he didn't care. Just, just happy to sit here and watch the stupidity unfold in front of him. So my dad at this point is uh, he's doing what I call a whisper yell, where he's like really emphatically trying to get me to actually kill this deer, um, but not yell. And so again, he's get that shell out of your gun, get another one in there, like you gotta aim, you know, all of the stuff that you know that you should be doing, but you can't figure out how you're going wrong. But I get another shell in there. And I think this might be the last round that I have. I, I don't know. I mean, looking back, I probably should have brought, you know, 20, 25 rounds with me. But I thought probably three would do the trick. Um, and I was right. Third round goes in. I cock that hammer back right at the heart. Boom. And this time he drops. I mean, he doesn't take a step. He's dead in his tracks. But actually, he's not. Uh, I had spined him, and spining an animal is not what any hunter ever wants to do. Sometimes you might think, well, you know, he didn't move. He's, he's dropped right there. Great, you know, wonderful. No, the problem is that you didn't kill him. They might bleed out. They might eventually die. It's not going to be fast. It's not going to be pretty, and you've just wrecked a lot of meat, and you've wrecked some of the prime cuts of meat that are on these animals. So, after realizing that, I start kind of feeling like I'm in a panic because I don't know what to do. I, you know, I barely knew how to, to, you know, shoot this animal. Now I have to try to figure out how to put it out of its misery. Um, but thankfully, my dad, he, you know, immediately knowing what happened, um, he climbs out of the stand, takes my gun down there. Um, I guess I did have another shot because he, uh, he winds up um, putting him out of his misery. And I will tell you, you know, we'll go into it more when we talk about the lessons learned, but that is probably one of the biggest lessons I took away is the responsibility of harvesting an animal. Hunting is fun. I love doing all of that stuff. But there is a responsibility when you decide you're going to kill something. um, It's your responsibility to do it as quickly and efficiently as possible. If you can't put a good shot on an animal, you probably shouldn't be shooting at that animal. Um, And... That's how I, I truly feel now, and that's why I practice. I, I try to shoot as often as I can because when the day comes for me to, to actually put a shot down, I don't want it to be one that causes my animal to suffer any longer than it has to. I want it to be quick, clean, and and, and respectful to that animal. Regardless, so uh, my dad, again, he goes down there and puts it out of his misery. That was mistake number, I don't know, 500 in the in the mistakes that I made during this first hunt by letting my dad do that because to this day, I will go and we'll have a conversation about that buck and it always ends with him saying, well, you know it's actually my deer because I'm the one that killed it. But whatever. My dad wound up mounting that deer for me um, as a Christmas gift, I think it was. Um, so I actually get to, to see it. Anytime I go see my brother, it hangs in his house right now. 
but uh, so it brings back a lot of, of really cool memories, and, and it's just, I mean, it's gonna, it's on the list of some of my greatest days. Um, the older I get, the more days that you add to that list, but that hunt will always be on there. So, you know, I get to show them off to my buddies, get to show them off to my brother, and we get to eat, you know, the meat that we've harvested. And uh, so, all in all, one of the biggest failures that I've ever had hunting um, mixed in with, with one of the most successful. Um, to be honest, again, he wasn't a huge buck, but he's he's still the biggest buck I've ever shot. So um, I'm not, you know, that's not saying a ton. I don't actually hunt for bucks. I When I go hunt, I'm hunting for anything that it walks in front of me. Um, but regardless, um, you know, just a great memory, a great hunt, and one that I will never forget. So now we're at the point where I guess we can discuss kind of what went wrong. Um, and like I said earlier, with a story like this, finding out what went wrong, is it's one of those obvious things. It, it's simple. You know, I mainly aiming. If you recall, on both of those incidents where I was shooting at that doe in the first season and eventually harvesting that buck in, in the late season, I used my wording specifically to explain where I went wrong. I was staring down those deer. I was ignoring my gun. I was I had the gun at my shoulder, but my eyes were on that deer. They weren't on the sight. Um, and my gun had rifle sights on it. Um, a lot of shotguns you'll see they have you know the bead sight or you know i mean you can get scope guns now but mine had the rifle sights i had the rifle barrel it was designed as a as a deer gun and it had the rifled sights on it but i didn't use them i was focused on that deer that's all i could focus on and anybody who does any amount of shooting especially with open sights the teaching you get is front sight focus is what they call it you you want your sights aligned. You want the rear sight aligned with the front sight, and you want to obviously be aligned with whatever your your animal or your target, whatever is. But the focus of your vision is on that front sight post. Everything else is blurred. So the kill zone, the where you're trying to place your shot, is a blurry kind of a picture, while the focus is on that front sight. None of that was being done while I was trying to harvest these animals. Um, I had completely ignored the sights for focusing on that target. And that's actually more common than what you might think. A lot of times, I mean, the whole reason that your heart rate is accelerated, the whole reason that your breathing is, is the way it is, like the excitement that you're feeling is for that animal which means that that is where the focus of your attention is going to be. And you, you, you can, if you don't really get control of your mind, you can lose complete focus on anything else going on and just put everything onto that thing. And that's what exactly what I did. I ignored everything. I hadn't been shooting guns for all of that long. It's not like I was a 50-year veteran, but I had done it long enough and had it you know, put into my head enough times of what I should do when I'm taking a shot, but I left all that behind to focus strictly on that animal. 
And that's why I missed multiple times. I mean, you're talking two animals. I took four shots, and I only hit once. Whereas, as a responsible hunter, you should be in the 90s, you know, upper 90s for accuracy when it comes to animals. Um, not in the 25 percentile. And that's why I wound up there. Um, I think... Standing up, again, I can't really explain that, why I did that, but I did. Um, And that's in the exact opposite direction of what I would tell somebody to do. You want to be as small as you can be. You want to be not human. Not that animals know that you're a human. They don't have in their brains, oh, that's a human. But they they can recognize this form as a threat. Um, that's one thing I try to get through to people is that animals don't think like we do. They don't have a vocabulary where like, oh, that's a boy, that's a girl, that's a human. No, they they relate that silhouette, what they're seeing as prior experience of whether it's a threat or if it's an unknown. Animals, a lot of times, especially prey animals, um, you know, that are food for another type of animal, they're instinct is mostly to run so if if they know something to be a threat they're going to run if they are unsure that something is a threat they're going to run if it's not even a threat a lot of times they're going to run it's just in their in their biology to to escape that is how they survive is escape and evasion not fighting so most of the time if they can't recognize what you are they, they're still going to run but you might get more time and by standing up like I did I was just basically advertising, you know, hey, I'm right here in front of you, and I'm a moron. So, you know, like I said, very simple things. This is not, you know, doctoral level things that we're learning right now. This was just the basics. But these are things that if you are a parent taking your child out on one of their first months, something to think about, to understand that, look, your kid you know, might know everything that they're supposed to do, but it all goes out the window on that first animal. And if there's anything you can do to to help them get through that, you're, you know, you're going to be ahead of the game. Um, Or again, if you are even older and and you are a first-time hunter, you can make these boneheaded mistakes because I'd argue that no matter what age you are, the first time you stare at an animal as a predator, as a hunter, it's a whole different feeling than just seeing them out in the wild and, and being a viewer. When you put yourself into the their world to become a predator inside of their world, it changes everything. So you still can make these kind of ridiculous mistakes, even as an adult. So, I mean, like I said, very simple stuff, but they make a massive difference. I missed four times on two deer because of just a simple thing of not looking down my sights and it didn't wind up biting me in the butt that time because again that buck of mine had some had some mental problems uh, that he was trying to work through but any other time you make a bunch of movement like that and and you just stand up and and advertise exactly what you're doing um, you're going to get busted and sooner rather than later they're going to be out of there before you can even get that gun up
So here we are at the end of yet another wonderful episode of The Amateur Hunter. I think um, at this point, you know, I kind of go over the takeaways of the story and, and what, you know, we can learn, you know. Kind of like the little kid shows. What have we learned today? And with this one, I think there's two main things that I would say I hope you've learned from this. The first one is practice. Practice builds habits. Habits build memory into your body. Um, if you've done something long enough, it actually doesn't even matter what it is. If it's shooting, if it's whatever you do as a job, repetitive tasks, you start to be able to do without thought. It just becomes a habit that when the opportunity presents itself to do something, you do it and you don't even think about it. That can prevent a lot of errors. That's why... In a lot of these kinds of jobs, uh, whether it's, you know, pl being a police officer, military, um, any anything like that, the guys who put in a lot of practice, you notice a difference when it comes to scenario-based trainings or when they're qualifying or whatever because it just becomes a natural function of their body to do this action. And it, it shows. So... You should put the same kind of effort into your hunting. Whether you're archery, muzzleloader, rifle, shotgun, pistol, doesn't matter what kind of hunting you're going to do. You need to repeat that task to where you don't have to really think about it when the time comes to use it in a real-world situation where you're going to harvest an animal. Because like I said before, you as a hunter are responsible for the animal that you are going to harvest. You need to harvest it quickly. You need to harvest it efficiently. It needs to not suffer for any longer than it absolutely has to. With the kind of weapons and tools that we have these days, it's not hard to take an animal quickly. So if you don't, it's because of you. You can't blame the equipment anymore. It's now on you as the hunter. And practice is what prevents all of that. And getting yourself in the mindset. We have a, a saying um, that we use in the military, we even use it in the, the job that I use now, and it's the combat mindset. Putting your mind to to the point of understanding like what you are doing. What is my job? What do I need to accomplish? Getting my mind wrapped around that, and, and becoming a predator. You're not you're not an outsider looking in. And when an animal comes, you're surprised and you don't know what to do. You are a predator who is expecting to find an animal because you've hunted this animal. And now you are going to put a good shot and end this animal's life quickly. Because you don't want it to suffer. Animals in the, in the natural world do the exact same thing. They don't try to make animals suffer. That's not, I mean, well, I will say there are some kind of weird animals out there that do. For the most part, if you see like a lot of these, you know, like big cats or, or bears or anything like that, when they go to kill something, a lot of times you see they're going for an artery. They're going for a jugular. They're going for a, a, a kill that is quick and efficient because, not because they feel bad. They, they don't really have any emotion for these, you know, animals that they're taking, but it's because of the effort required. If they can kill their prey quickly, then they can save energy and harvest their game a lot faster and, and get that meal a lot faster. You should think of it the exact same way. You need to be a good predator that can take your game quickly. Um, reverting back to the debacle of standing up in the stand, 
again, just kind of a really dumb thing. You should always think, though, no matter what you're doing, if you're still hunting, if you're spotting stock, stand hunting, no matter what kind of hunting you're going to do, you need to be very aware of everything that you do, every movement that you make. You want to be a small profile. You don't want to be easily recognizable. You don't want to draw attention to yourself. If you're good at what you do, the animal should actually never know that you even were there. You know, you'll see a lot of times you watch some of these guys on TV who are just really excellent hunters, very good stalkers. Um, these guys will take a shot, and that animal doesn't even like doesn't even understand what's happening to it. It was just shot, but it doesn't know really where that shot came from. It doesn't know that something else is in its environment. It's just you know there one second, dead the next. That's the kind of hunter you want to be, and that is a, another big focus. Honing your craft with your weapon is a huge deal. You should. You should practice any chance you get and and become a very good shot and very proficient with whatever weapon you choose or weapons you choose to use. But the, the other side of that is that you should be honing your skill as a hunter, as a stalker. How quietly can I get in there? You know, there's this this trend that's kind of been around for the last few years about taking these long-range shots. You know, guys who will go a quarter of a mile and take the shot. I'm impressed. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not upset with these guys. I, I don't, you know, they're they're hunting in a different type of hunt. The challenge for them is, is making an, an amazing shot um, as, you know, compared to getting in close. They both have their challenges. Um, you know, I just, my preference is not that kind of hunting. But it's kind of a popular thing. But in that kind of hunting, you don't have to worry about anything. Wind does not matter in the in the form of the animal detecting you due to the wind. Now, you have to take wind into account for a long-range shot. But as far as the relationship between you and that animal, you don't have to worry about any of the things that you do when you get close. And that's a piece of advice. I can't remember who, who said it. It might have been Remy Warren, maybe Steve Rennell. I don't know. I, I listened to all those guys. Um... But one thing that they said that is that kind of sticks with me is, uh, you know, if you're a rifle hunter, you should practice to get comfortable at longer distances, maybe 500 yards, 600 yards. You know, maybe maybe get to the point where you can drill that target every time at 500 yards, but you should strive to shoot your animal at 50 yards. You should strive to get as close to this animal as you possibly can. Um, one, because the closer you are, the higher percentage of, of success you have with the shot. And two, it's just the challenge. You know, if you are that good of a hunter where you can play the wind, be quiet, stalk in and all of that to get that close to an animal, it's just an amazing feeling. That's why bow hunting is so cool in my mind because you have to. You don't get the option. A 100-yard shot on a bow is a long freaking shot. It's not one that I would ever be willing to take on an animal. So you have to get in close, and to do so makes you a better hunter. And I think those are the two main things, you know, work on shooting, work on your stocking, work on just overall what it is to be a hunter. Again, the days of not really caring and, and, and this not really being a sport, those are gone. Um, the generation that we're in now, the, the guys that I hunt with and the guys that we watch on TV hunting, those are guys who have turned this into an actual athletic sport where you need to put time and effort into it. And I promise you, if you do, your success rate's going to go up. Lazy hunters aren't really successful, but the guys who put in the work, the guys who hone their skills, who do their absolute best, those guys are successful. 
and, and that's who we all should strive to be like. Anyway, I hope you did enjoy this. Uh, hope maybe you learned a little bit of something, or at least maybe were entertained for a little while, got your mind off of whatever stupidity is going on on this planet at this moment. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. I am the Amateur Hunter, and I will see you next week. Oh, <laughs>